0: Monday night edition of the pod, Golden State has, as expected, rolled through to the NBA Finals with a 129-115 victory over the very short-handed San Antonio Spurs. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, where this Warriors playoff run ranks historically. And then more interestingly, we're going to talk about the San Antonio Spurs offseason and also that of the Portland Trailblazers, another Warriors victim as well here. We're brought to you today by Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash Capspace is your URL to get your first three meals free. This week, they've got curry spice cod and golden raisin chutney, among other delicacies that I'm really looking forward to. And then our friends at SeatGeek, use that Capspace code to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Anything stand out to you about this game, Danny? I think actually the most interesting thing to me was the love fest for Manu Ginobili as he finished in fine style, 15 points, 7 assists, 6 of 12 from the field, and got a beautiful send off from the Spurs faithful as he was taken out with about two minutes to go. Chance of one more year and, and Manu dueling with each other. I think the where I'd like to start here is just what are your favorite memories of, of Monte Ginobili if in fact this is his last NBA game?
1: I think back to those early years with him, and he was just something so different from what I had seen before, especially considering I wasn't we talked about this a little bit in the Patreon blog wasn't super into basketball at that point and I just found him captivating and then transitioning from that to actually being able to talk with him one of my favorite conversations I've ever had with a player was with Manu we were talking this was like 2010 2011 about how to attack a zone defense and he and I just talked for like five minutes it was I, I can't even remember if I had a recorder on neither of us really cared and to get that kind of an insight I was still pretty much a neophyte into basketball to just talk with one of the smartest guys in the league about how they approached it and what they wanted to do and everything like that was just amazing. It was to have that experience having watched him for years was incredible.
0: Yeah, I never really had a chance to, to have a conversation with him, unfortunately. I, I kept wanting to ask him about the incredible entry passes that he'd been throwing all playoffs uh, to fronted post players, but didn't really get a chance to because They got smashed in the first couple of games in, or they didn't get smashed in the first game. It was an emotional loss, obviously. Um, So it wasn't really the proper time to have a more lighthearted conversation like that. I think my biggest memory of him is that he, I think, invented the Euro step, which is one of the most, at least on the NBA level. I'm sure there are people doing it in Europe before him, but he was really the first guy who brought that to the NBA, his body control, finishing his ability off the ball to get steals. Even in this game, he was outstanding as a help defender coming off guys gapping helping on penetration and i actually will remember him most for two plays one was a a great play basically the exclamation point on their 2014 championship where he dunked all over the miami heat at age you know 37 or whatever he was at the time and then another one was actually a play that was a negative play where he fouled Dirk Nowitzki really bad foul when they were up by three at the end of a game seven in two, 2006 when they had the best record that year they looked like they were going to roll that Dallas was probably the second best team that year during the regular season and although I guess Detroit was really good that year too sorry for the aside but you know we got to be accurate here and that enabled Dallas to tie the game they ended up losing in overtime of that game seven at home after they'd come back from a three-one deficit, that but also one of the great Tim Duncan series as well. But it was just his reaction to that and how he handled it in a classy way, and yet like the the pain that he was going through. And then another one, of course, would be his Olympic performances which were utterly enraging to me as a U.S. basketball fan at the time, leading the first team that actually won against a team of U.S. pros in the 2002 World Championships. They did not win the gold medal that year. They lost to what was still then called Yugoslavia in the final. And then they did get their gold medal in 2004 in Athens, beating the U.S., I think twice in that that run. Uh, and, and as the leader of just a team that really, I thought, taught Americans how they had to play basketball again. You know, I think that was and forced USA to start playing small and hire Coach K and Mike D'Antoni and really catch up to the rest of the world instead of just trying to bang it into the post every single time and taught us that we actually needed to have some modicum of continuity where we weren't just going to give up backdoors on every play like that. Those guys all played a, a beautiful brand of basketball. And uh, that's uh, what comes to mind for me uh, when I think about Mon Ginobili.
1: And for those who want to read it, there are some absolutely wonderful features that have been written on him over the years. I was remember reminded, I think Ben Goliver tweeted this out, that Chris Ballard w- wrote one on him back in, I think it was 2004, that I remembered being really good. And then Zach Lowe had a good one, I think it was last year. And there are a lot of them over the course. The years and manu's had some good interviews as well i think he did he's done some podcasts and things like that so i hope this isn't the end for him i hope he comes back
0: for selfish reasons yeah and i hope we have this reasons. exact same conversation next year yeah but, <laughs> but at the same back. point
1: we can appreciate him for 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 what he did and i love that he had a strong he had some really strong games in these playoffs and that if this is him going out it's not going out on top but it's going out better than almost everybody else who's a hall of fame player ever does
0: well certainly the ones who make it to age 39 and and that game five against houston was outstanding his game one he was spectacular in this series game six he was great in the houston series that
1: block on harden is one of the more iconic moments of his at least his later career but you could oh for sure i mean it's incredible
0: let's get to this game now but first a word from our friends at blue apron blue apron.com slash cap space is the code to get your first three meals free and also of course let them know that you came from us if you're not familiar with blue apron it is a food delivery service that pre-portions out every Ingredient, really high quality ingredients as well. So you don't get any food waste. And they specifically tell you with very easy to read recipe cards that they actually revamped it in the last couple of months to make them even easier to read as well. Exactly how to make this stuff. And I'm not a particularly accomplished cook in the slightest, but I was able to make everything my girlfriend and I, no problem. It's really awesome to have an excuse to sit down to a home cooked meal, which you don't necessarily have. And at less than $10 per person, I think it's actually cheaper than if you're going to go to a high end grocery store and get all these ingredients especially when you consider that there's no food waste at all and you don't have to spend a bunch of time to go there either it just shows up right at your door every week it's packaged in a way that the meat is kept cold you put it in your fridge it'll last you most of the time towards the end of the week if you don't have time to make it right away So it's really just a great way to cook at home without all the hassle and food waste of going to the grocery store. And you're probably going to make better food this way, too. This week, they're featuring curry spice cod and golden raisin chutney, which I'm looking forward to eating. Included with that, roasted summer squash and garlic naan. Naan, of course, uh, one of our favorites, for sure. My girlfriend loves that. And it's really cool to make some of the stuff that you're only getting in a restaurant or flavors that you never would even be trying. To actually make those at home uh, with your own two hands is pretty cool. Once again, the the way to get started with them, blueapron.com slash Capspace. Capspace is easy to remember, of course, that URL because we talk about it all the time in the program as we will with the Blazers and Spurs. Coming up here, blueapron.com slash Capspace. So what say you about this basketball game and maybe even more broadly at some point this Warriors playoff run?
1: I thought this was one of the one of the relatively few, and I don't mean that as a big criticism, games where Steph Curry and Kevin Durant were both very good offensively in the same game. And I thought it was, was interesting the way that that kind of happened. So Durant in the first three quarters, he scored between seven and ten points in all three quarters, so he was pretty consistent. And Curry did it more in bursts. In the first quarter, Curry had 13 despite, I think he was, one of five or one of six from three, one of and those six were from three, yeah. those were clean looks. So you think about where that could have gone if he had made a couple more. of Those there were one or two possessions where he made. Uh, there was the one he made was off of a possession where he'd already missed one. So you know you could say, oh, if he made the first one, it'd be different. But that is something the Warriors have been looking for not only for the whole playoffs, but really for the last I don't know last second half of the season. So Durant has had some really nice moments in the playoffs at various rounds. Curry has had some too, but to really have it in the same game, and I thought those were the only two guys offensively that really stood out for the Warriors but they had that was more than enough against this skeleton crew of Spurs
0: yeah with Parker out uh, David Lee out of course Kawhi Leonard and they got to the point now where they really were missing Parker I think Aldridge in particular who played a mere 22 minutes in this one had eight points on four of 11 he just could not hit a pick and pop jumper I mean that was the thing that I didn't understand about him in this whole series like they had the ability especially when Golden State was playing traditional centers uh, to get him open pick and pop jumpers and he just wasn't able to convert Those it was really should have been over earlier than it was, frankly, for Golden State. I mean, they didn't shoot incredibly well on three pointers in the first half. They did go 21 out of 27 on two pointers in the first half, including 12 of 12 at the rim. And meanwhile, the Spurs in the first half, in what was an extremely fast paced game, 55 possessions in the first half alone, the Spurs shot 10 out of 22 at the rim and only three out of 15 on mid range jumpers. There's a titanic amount of mid range jumpers, and then even on three pointers, they they had a bunch of open ones and just weren't really able to, to convert the few that they had uh they did try to start Monte Ginobili he actually led the Spurs in minutes with 32 minutes in this game that led Mike Brown to downsize as well and go with Patrick McCaw who uh had another nice game and really you know I thought that Draymond Green was kind of more on cruise control defensively at the Warriors had a bunch of mistakes they were just like giving up deep post position or drives to guys like Slomo. and then Andre Iguodala well he did play 22 minutes three of six from the field not really looking like his three-pointer is falling these days but uh, aside from a little more aggressiveness finishing late I thought that he still looked terrible defensively
1: yeah that was that was something I noticed as well and he only scored I think all of his points yeah all all of seven of his points were in the fourth quarter it was the he had two finishes on back-to-back possessions and I think he had one other play and it wasn't as the as bad as the DeJounte Murray blow by fest that was game three but he still didn't look right and that becomes significant when when you consider that he only played 10 minutes in game one and then sat for almost a week before game three and so yes they do have about a week and a half until the start of the nba finals but we'll have to see how much time helps
0: he did get out in transition for a dunk and appeared to be kind of grimacing and shaking his head afterwards it's just like hey that didn't feel very good to go up and dunk that i mean that's maybe reading it a bit too much in the Warriors were also extremely sloppy with the ball 14 steals for san antonio Five for DeJounte Murray, four for Kyle Anderson, and both Durant and Curry, Curry in particular, had six turnovers in the first three quarters, and he was just throwing some completely awful passes. Uh, KD got ripped up a couple times, Anderson using his long arm, so so was Murray. Murray's still not able to score efficiently yet, but he did have nine points and seven assists, got to the foul line for seven attempts. Um We didn't see any of Davis Berton's at all in this game, which is a surprise. I thought he actually played pretty well in game three. And, you know, he's at least one guy who can make a shot. They went with more of Bryn Forbes, who was only two for eight. And we we mentioned Anderson with his 20 points. That's probably, I would say, probably the best game of his career, frankly, uh, with four steals as well. Gasol actually was effective offensively for the first time in the series with 14 points, but he just trying to get out on the floor just was couldn't get it done at all I mean they got to the point where they're trying to switch everything Pagasol just can't do that and like you know he got backdoored by Curry in pick and roll he got roasted There was just you know we knew that Pagasol wouldn't be able to compete defensively against this Warriors team and that's what ended up happening I mean I still think Deadman should have gotten more time but in some ways it seemed like this was almost like Pop doling out the playing time just because doing whatever he felt like I mean Aldridge only played 22 minutes I mean that's gonna be you know they played better without him he was negative 18 in those 22 minutes but and then they did 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 play Gasol more to kind of maybe placate him you know it's it's difficult to say you know exactly how someone like LaMarcus Aldridge is gonna be feeling after this it did seem when Pop was asked like oh did you get what you wanted from LaMarcus he was just like sure (laughs) after game three and I don't know whether it's him being short or sarcastic or didn't want to elaborate or what but it it didn't seem like he was particularly happy uh, with what LaMarcus Aldridge gave him and Aldridge again also was really bad on defense in this game It was just an incredible contrast how good Aldridge and Gasol were on defense against the Rockets, ostensibly like this great shooting team compared to like what golden the type of pressure that golden state puts on a defense is just a whole other level even though frankly golden states and houston's numbers were like pretty close to one another during the regular season offensively they
1: were one and two and and i think both of them were more separated from the field than they were from each other and that gets into some of the individual dynamism of this and and something i thought was a, a, a strange dynamic of this game was that every time the spurs got got closer not cl- necessarily close like got around double digit got like low double digits it felt like Kevin Durant got a bucket then and they had a couple of those like they just like oh oh yeah we oh that's right we have Kevin Durant let's just give him the ball for a couple possessions and he's going to do it and he can just get those moments and he also had that that weird double block which was kind of cool where he blocked the ball and then hit it with his offhand and the what I thought was like the nastiest play of this game was not that it was he just pulled up for three but had a pull-up three in Jonathan Simmons face and I was just sitting there going "I, I didn't realize he had that in him still and that he was just going to it was it wasn't like flow of the offense or anything like that he's just said i'm taking the shot and just nailed
0: it yeah durant 10 of 13 from the field had 29 points golden state overall shot 72 percent on two pointers in this game and had 32 fast break points to, compared to 22 for the spurs i mean it was a very ragged game golden state wasn't really competing that hard defensively they just felt like they're gonna outscore and they had a bunch of times where they're like turning down open threes to like overpass and throw it away i mean it was you never felt like the Spurs were at all in it. Golden State was in complete control the entire way, as you would have expected.
1: One other one the so, crazy yeah. stat. The Warriors had thirty two fast break points and four points off turnovers.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And the Spurs uh had twenty-four points off the Warriors seventeen turnovers. We mentioned the fourteen steals uh helped keep them in it as well. So I mean San Antonio actually scored better than expected in those two games in San Antonio, but again, it was mostly because the Warriors didn't seem to be trying that that hard, frankly. And and I mean Kevin Durant and Steph Curry the only one who continues to struggle right now is Clay Thompson and he that's going to happen to him when the opponent is just switching everything the way that they are so he's never really going to be open coming off a pin down but did miss a, f- a few open threes only one out of five ten points on, on three of 13 only one assists and Still, though, I'm like not that worried about his struggles unless it really bleeds into his defensive effort, which, frankly, it never has. And so like, no matter what percentage Klay Thompson shoots the rest of these playoffs, the other team is not going to leave him wide open. So ultimately, it really doesn't matter that much. And the space that he provides for Curry and Durant is outstanding. And I also like that Mike Braun was willing to just start Draymond Green at center, even if he didn't start he went with McCaw instead. Um if they if they do, he may have to start Green at center and go with Iguodala if he's ready, because uh, starting McCaw, he probably isn't going to have the size to deal with LeBron necessarily. If if KD is going to be at the four, so that'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the finals. But we have plenty of time to, to preview that uh, before we get to San Antonio's offseason though can we put this Warriors run 12-0 and into some kind of historical perspective how impressed are you by what they've done
1: you do have to put in a little bit of the context that they haven't gotten many teams best shots I mean George Hill missed the last couple of games of that series Nurkic missed functionally the entire series and Kawhi missed three three and a half of the four games but they still have at this point the best point differential that any team has ever had in the playoffs they're outscoring teams by 16.3 not points per hundred possessions points that's their actual margin and i believe it's the lakers was it the shaq kobe lakers that had the best yeah, the, margin the
0: 0-1 lakers that went 15 and one. they only lost game one of the finals to Allen iverson in, in overtime is the, their only and, loss
1: and and the likely coach of cleveland in the finals featured prominently in that game
0: yes yeah the uh the loose step over uh but of course, an iconic moment. So yeah, it was... I mean, perhaps the the biggest thing that you can say about what they're doing is like, it just seems like totally natural and expected for them to just go 12 and 0.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've been sitting there in this and, and a lot of these games have had just a ridiculous amount of garbage time and something that I've been grappling with over the course of this entire playoff run is how few minutes their best players have really had to go through. And some of that is by choice and some of that is also by lack of necessity. And whether that affects what the coaching staff does in the NBA finals is an open question that's not something that we can have an answer for until we actually get there unless mike brown says something really really open in the next week which is possible but unlikely but they're really rested at this point not only because they played so few games but because i think last i checked nobody was over 35 a game for them and they have not
0: been without adversity kevin durant recall i mean played three games at the end of the regular season and then he missed a ton of time with that calf injury against portland and they were able to come back from an 18. Point deficit against them they did still overcome a 23 point deficit in the last 20 minutes of the game even with Kawhi out that's still pretty impressive to do that in game one against the Spurs Pachulia has missed basically the last two games that's their starting center who in theory would matter to a lot of teams doesn't really seem to matter that much for, for Golden State and they've been able to get minutes out of David West and Pachulia or and JaVale McGee well enough also they've developed their depth the whole idea that I never bought into this, by the way, that like their depth was going to be worse than last year. I mean, they're losing like most Bates and Leandro Barbosa. You know, they still had their two most important bench guys, Iguodala and Livingston. Azili was a shell by the end of the season. And everyone's like, oh, they lost Bogut. Like Bogut didn't give them anything in, in the last half of the year and I've, and throughout a lot of the playoffs. So they really just didn't have the depth hardly at all. And then to get something quality out of McCaw and Ian Clark, JaVale this year who's probably been as good or better than any backup center they had last year. David West was way better than anyone they had as a big coming off their bench last year. You know, so this idea that, like, their depth wasn't going to be as good was always really kind of hooey to me.
1: That said, if Iguodala isn't right, it changes that calculus significantly because he's so important to what they do. And if he can—so I was looking back on it, and in the the 2015 finals, he— even though he only started the last couple of games, he averaged 37 minutes per game in that series. If they could yeah. theoretically get something even close to that from him, then you start talking about a really just insanely dominant lineup because they just wouldn't really need to play that many other guys.
0: Well, they also now have the advantage that with Kevin Durant, they have somebody else who can plausibly guard LeBron James one-on-one and, and I think do a decent job of it at this point in his career. He certainly was not ready to do that five years ago in the 2012 finals uh, as LeBron was just too strong for him back then. KD has definitely matured and obviously LeBron is not the force physically that he was back then. Uh, But yeah, and so that's whereas Harrison Barnes didn't have a chance against LeBron in these last two finals. So again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but this was a great performance from the Warriors. Exactly what we expected to see from them. I mean, really the only moment of vulnerability they had one was going down by 18 in game three in Portland without kevin durant and they roared back and won that game comfortably and then uh that game game one against the spurs so i mean this is uh looking like a, the all-time great team that we expected them to be let's get to the san antonio spurs now and their season. I see one one of two possible paths for them, but most likely one one possible path. Actually, no, I'll say it. There's path one, there's like two main paths and then a sub path within what I think is the most likely path. So we'll get the like big fantasy out of the way first. Let's say they could figure out a way to get Pau Gasol to opt out of his player option or trade him away. He's due about 16 million next year. Let's say that they Tony Parker is not going to come back. So they either trade him away and then he just retires and you know they, they give a draft pick to that team to just eat the salary or they were to he retires and they stretch him the same way they did with with tim duncan uh they move on from patty mills and his 6.8 million dollar cap hold they could get up to 36 million in space which would be just enough for a max for say chris paul i mean and and because there's such a human cost there as well and, and if parker were healthy there's no way they could attempt this i don't think and gasol who knows like maybe he would just opt out and leave or you know certainly they can't feel inspired about what he's going to do a year older playing against golden state again but chris paul if there was some indication he wanted to come there then at that point I would just say damn the torpedoes and let's try and sign this guy that also would mean they'd give up Monte Ginobili's cap hold as well David Lee Dwayne Dedman who's probably going to leave anyway like basically all of their free agents John Simmons they might be able to keep around in that scenario and they would obviously be very thin they would have like no bigs at all they would just be down to the room exception at that point unless they could engineer a sign and trade with the Clippers which might be a possibility too but uh so there's been no indication that Chris Paul would want to go there you know not the way we heard these rumblings about Lamarcus want to go there they could also even try to trade Lamarcus but I still think he's a value contract even after all this and, and he's played okay at times when he didn't have to be the number one option every single time against Golden State that's option number one I, I think that is a very low likelihood though option two which maybe you can expound upon is they just kind of keep everyone around they keep Patty Mills cap hold uh but then to me the question is do you want to go all in signing multi-year contracts for the MLE and the, and the BAE which is eight million and four million and 4 million a piece or do you want to just try to cobble together something for next year and then really have at it in twenty eighteen free agency when they could have, depending on what happens with Aldridge and Danny Green, as much as seventy million dollars in cap space to add around Kawhi Leonard.
1: A lot of it will also depend on on opportunity. So we talked about that with Chris Paul. I would say the other guy that you consider path one would be Gordon Hayward. I think Hayward would be a fascinating fit with Kawhi. They could sure. do some different stuff there. But I don't think he's gonna go there. That's another just a throwaway but I want to mention it so it's there. San Antonio partially because they cleared the decks for one season before and all those guys signed some more structured contracts except for Kawhi their books for 2018-19 are ridiculously clean. Well Marcus has a 22 million dollar option that is not so rich that you would expect that he will pick it up especially when you consider the future years part of it you know maybe he doesn't get that much per season at that point but he can get a lot more security he can pick his team all that sort of stuff. Danny Green also has a player option for 10 million that I would expect him to decline whether that means he leaves or not is another is another question entirely and then they basically other than why don't really have any other money on their books like kyle anderson has a cap hold they could keep him or not bertans has this low cap hold Bryn forbes Dejounte murray still on his cheap deal their draft picks this year will be on their cheap deals so they could really go after it at that point the other element of this and i, I i'm intrigued by the idea that you brought up about the mid-level exception and the biannual because of this 70 million or so is so much money that. I think R.C. Buford and Pop can approach it where if they get somebody they're happy with at that price, and this could even apply to Patty Mills. You're probably not going to use 70 million productively anyway. Like that's just so much, even in today's money, that's so much money to use that maybe you just say, okay, we're not going to we're not going to do any bad contracts. You know, we're not going to throw this 8 million at some guy who sucks. But if we're happy with the player, either a we can keep them at that contract, or b they're probably going to pass the DNA test, so we can just move them or do something else you know kind of like what happened with Boris Dio maybe make that happen if you have to and I think that's really the path the path is no bad contracts use that money maybe split up that middle level exception if they want to try to get a couple of guys and do the best they can and that could work out well as kind of a best of both worlds and they also have these intriguing young players on their team I mean DeJounte Murray can give him some playing time figure out what the heck you have in him Bertrands he has another year that could be fun to as a backup for maybe that's sort of thing. And then just whatever guys want to be a part of the Spurs, you know, whoever the next David West is and all that type of stuff. You go for those guys and if you can get them on a discounted price for that second year, I think you go for it. And you go for it hard because if you can get them on a cheap value contract or a low cap hold, that would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, that might be a, an interesting approach as kind of a hybrid there but you're certainly you're risking if that's your big so the 2018 free agency demarcus cousins Derek favors deandre jordan would be some bigs that they might look at paul george of course looking like he's going to be a free agent almost certainly he will be a free agent that offseason Carmelo Anthony could be a free agent, Avery Bradley, uh, Robert Covington, if he can't come to an agreement with Philly. And then you're really, you know, beyond that, there's nobody who's going to make like some enormous difference for you. Russell Westbrook potentially, but doesn't doesn't exactly seem like he'll be coming to San Antonio. Isaiah Thomas, maybe another one, but at 29 doesn't seem like the type of guy they would go for. So maybe they're just more thinking, hey, we got to re-rebuild with just a more modern type of team that can compete with Golden State and just the fact that Golden State will be a year older, you know. I mean, I I personally even with Leonard, I know they were up 23 in game 1, but I don't think ultimately they could have scored well enough on this Golden State team. I think even if they win game 1, they probably lose the series in 6 and I don't think that Pop is necessarily under any illusions that they're that close to Golden State just based on on some of the comments that he's made. So, I'm all for just trying to keep that flexibility and that brings us into, you know, what does this team need and and specifically what does this team need to compete with the Golden State Warriors?
1: I think they need somebody who can be a, a versatile big man for them. Ideally, they can fit with Kawhi Leonard playing the four. And that is a two-way thing. You need somebody who can switch defensively and ideally who can create offensive value in some form. I think it's OK if it's as a role man. They can make that work. But if it's as a shooter, even better.
0: Yeah, they have to get more athletic in the front court. And there's not a lot of those guys around. You know, They had Deadman, but they found him kind of off the scrap heap. Maybe they can find someone else like that but a guy who has the ability to switch and can protect the rim and then isn't a zero offensively I mean that's basically a max player so it's asking a lot to expect them to get better there I mean more three and d type of guys on the wing is always useful even if it's more towards the d end and the other thing I think they really need that was clear in this series once Kawhi went down is they need somebody with some juice off the bounce who can beat a switch who can create a shot in the late clock can run a, a pick and roll. And although Kawhi can run a pick and roll, he's not going to just like blow to the rim with like a ton of speed to really put pressure on the defense and then, you know, set up a drive and kick game. You know, Kawhi more wants to kind of work to his spots. Uh So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff that they need, I think, are around Kawhi Leonard. I mean, I think they're always going to win. As long as they have Kawhi Leonard and Greg Popovich, they're going to win 50 games every year. But I do think that they are far enough away. And, you know, they might get some help from like Bertans if he's better. Maybe they re-sign John Simmons, you know. Uh, and that's maybe something we should run through, too, is just like all of the free agents that they have. It seems like they have such a stable roster, but, you know, they had a lot of turnover this year. Who do they even have as free agents? And also, they're kind of limited in bringing some of those guys back. That's worth discussing.
1: Sure, I'll go through the list. So Pau Gasol is a player option. We think he's coming back. David Lee is a player option. That gets more complicated with his patellar tendon injury, but I, th- I still think he's probably going to opt out. But then the big ones are Patty Mills, unrestricted, Jonathan Simmons, restricted and also yeah. subject to the Gilbert Arenas provision. But yeah, and, re- and Mills,
0: we should mention too, his cap hold, uh, 6.8 million. But then again, if you're going to re-sign him, you run into the issue of, you know, at market rate, which is probably going to be eight figures a year at age 28, you know, do you really want to do that? Especially when you know, I'm not sure he's a guy. He's a decent backup point guard, but I'm not sure he's a guy. Especially as he gets into his late 20s, that's like a great player to play against the Warriors. And he's a solid regular season guy. I mean, it's it, it's really the calculation as far as like being good in the regular season because they could just go to this same formula: where they get two bigs, they defend, they get some shooting around him. You know, Patty Mills, like we bring him back. You know, we kind of run this back. We probably win the high 50s again next year if that's your goal. Versus, we really want to take a legitimate swing at beating Golden State. While Curry and Durant are still in their primes next year, and then you know maybe they those guys and, and Draymond and start dropping off enough the year afterwards, Iguadala maybe is is on the backside by then. Uh, those are really two different goals, and I think you're going to operate almost totally differently depending on which of those two you're going to pursue.
1: It's a great point, and another thing to consider along that line is while he's not a free agent this year, Danny Green turns thirty this summer, right? And they don't really have that many other. You talked about the idea of three. And D guys, you're probably looking for somebody to replace Danny Green, even if maybe you keep him on roster, his his cap hold isn't going to be that big. But if you're trying to compete for a championship, he's he might reach the point where that's not what you want.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he'll still, you know, defense, he's not going to have like the same elevation he does protecting the rim now, which is obviously a great skill he has. But I think in terms of his strength, moving his feet, hitting open jumpers, he'll be able to maintain that, you know, into his early 30s. But again, you know, do you want to sign him to his next contract after next year? You know, that's a question. Uh, You started to say, though, the situation with John Simmons.
1: Yes. So John Simmons is subject to the Gilbert Arenas provision, which means that another team cannot offer him a contract worth more than the non-taxpayer mid-level. Level exception for the first two years and then it can go up theoretically if they wanted to to what his maximum would have been had they been able to offer that for the whole time and there are two interesting things about that this year that were not true last year and if for those who remember bobon was actually subject to the arena's provision last year in boston or not boston sorry detroit sam vangundy signed him to, the, to a three-year 21 million dollar contract if i have the terms right in my head and i think i do two yeah, things i think
0: that was after they actually pulled their qualifying offer
1: to him right but it was but they had, i think it yeah. was kind of like they had the they had it done like they had it done and then the Spurs pulled it, all that kind of stuff. if I remember right. correctly, that's how it happened. But so before the mid-level exception was horrendously out of pace with the cap. So it was it was a real constraint for those first two years. I think that's part of the reason you saw the Tyler Johnson offer sheet and a couple of the other ones was just because it was so low. Now at 8.4 million, you know, that's not that far off of what Jonathan Simmons could get in the open market anyway. So you don't have to do as much of the backloading. And also, finally, they made the system more favorable to, t- to the a matching team that they can they can choose which structure they use whether they want to use their own which is the actual salary or they can use the average salary which is kind of what might end up screwing the Heat because they did not have that option for tyler johnson so the spurs can kind of play that both ways depending on what kind of offer sheet simmons gets
0: yeah, and I could see him, you know, a three-year, $24 million offer sheet. I could see something like that. I'm not sure whether the Spurs would match that or not, frankly. I mean, they do. If they were trying to use a ton of cap space this year, you probably do match that because his cap hold is tiny. It's only $1.6 If you're a restricted free agent who doesn't meet the starter criteria of, well, that's getting too far. that. But basically, his cap hold is the minimum plus $200,000, which is nothing. And then they would have early bird rights on him. They could pay him up to the, the middle exception to start but it looks like they're probably not going to try and use cats weights they would just maybe use their exceptions this year and in which case maybe it becomes cost prohibitive to bring him back but you know they need some more wings they don't like he's a decent player like how are they going to replace him if they let him go uh so there's that concern as well so it'll be very interesting to see what kind of an offer he gets at age 27 we'll talk about potential free agent targets for them in a moment But first, if you would like to see this awesome Spurs team that we are about to create in their offseason preview next season, SeatGeek would be the best way to do it. SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. That's one awesome thing about them. You don't have to worry that you didn't go to 10 different sites to get the best deal. SeatGeek puts them in front of you. And SeatGeek gives you the most bang for your buck. They give every ticket a grade based on value so you can immediately see any underpriced seats and what used to be essentially like a 20-minute process, if not more, to find the cheapest tickets, then find the most valuable tickets in the arena. Now SeatGeek helps you do that and you can get this done in like two minutes. And of course, it wouldn't be a dunked on ad if you didn't get a discount with our code. That code, of course, is CAPSPACE. You download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click on add a promo code, Enter that promo code CAPSPACE and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you have made your first purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CAPSPACE today. So we mentioned the possibility, however slight, of Chris Paul. Let me start with you on this, Danny. Let's say they're only willing to offer a one-year deal for the type of players that they might need. Who is a player that they could get who would help them next year, especially to try and compete with the Warriors just a little bit, and but would be willing to sign for you know just the full MLE $8.4 million for one year? Anyone come to mind that would be realistic in that scenario that actually could help them?
1: Oof. I mean, because the best guys aren't going to sign there for what for aren't yeah. going to sign a one-year deal because this is their time like you think about somebody like Taj Gibson yes Taj Gibson would help the Spurs quite a bit this is the time for Taj Gibson to strike and yeah, so he's I think 32 right I think they're more of a bargain team I mean, you could say the same for somebody like Patrick Patterson but Patrick yeah, Patterson, Patterson needs you to have sign to imagine it
0: 28 28 Patrick Patterson he's gonna want a four-year deal and you know probably would deserve it for nine ten million bucks a year you know low-end starter high-end backup type of money but you know again over a longer period of time
1: the more interesting ones would be if there was a a point guard let's say they decided that they didn't want to pay patty mills somebody makes him an a a, a ridiculous offer and a point guard just feels the market isn't up to where they wanted it to be for themselves the most obvious there would actually be derrick rose if rose i'm surprised
0: you said that i that was my kind of sneaky idea doesn't seem like a spurs guy at all no maybe rose will be like hey you know what like i'm taking way less than what i think my market value is anyway you know for 8.4 million so the spurs is the best place to possibly rebuild my value they'll keep me healthy you know i can run some pick and pause with lamarcus and, and paul Gasol if he's still around they had a nice chemistry with back when they were both on the bulls and you know i can like rehab my image a little bit and then get back onto the market and get you know the enormous deal that will be waiting for me if i if i play better next year uh the i mean i think you'll have there's one other
1: guy who could do it too which is darren well, let,
0: let me finish on him too yeah sure i i because Collison I think we'll get we'll actually go for be more interested in a multi-year deal like Collison I see him you know he's 29 he's gonna want to go for you know he would be the four-year deal for the mid-level exception whereas Rose he thinks all right my value is kind of at an AD right now I don't want to lock in for that long I want to do a prove-it deal so that I can get a much bigger deal you know thinking that that's realistic I don't think it is but he'll probably think that it is and so San Antonio's the best way to do it. I think he'll probably have one-year deal offers for more than that but because he's made so much money already and his career I think he might decide hey I'm going to make an investment in my future by taking less but going somewhere where and I think he could actually he could actually help them and I think pop would get him to play some more defense and just with better players around it, maybe Rose can become a better finisher. And, and you know, I'm not saying, I mean, you're getting a one or $8 million deal. You're not getting a star there, but just to have somebody who can put pressure on the rim, get out on the break as well. I mean, they have really nobody on this team who can push the ball in transition anymore either. You know, I think that that actually would really help them a lot.
1: Another guy that I think is a possibility, not a probability would be Tyreek Evans. Evans could kind of slide into that Manu role of being a, a, ca- a catalyst on the second unit that could work re- reasonably well for them, especially considering a lot of the other point guards are just uninspiring. And so you could play Tyreek at the two and maybe get more of a shooter or play him with DeJounte Murray, something like that, and let them both have the ball in their hands sometimes.
0: Yeah, one thing that I'm coming to the conclusion on is that we think a lot of these guys, Rose, Tyreek Evans, there really are not that many guys on this market who can do anything off the dribble and really create other than just, you know, those high-end point guard guys. But even like backup point guards, they don't have many of those who can do anything off the dribble. I mean, it's really like Evans, rose I and mean, who else is there who's really just like a scorer uh who can really attack the rim off the dribble even if he does have some other limitations there's not much out there maybe like ty lawson he's not really a scorer but he can at least get into the lane not a lot of guys who can do much off the dribble available in this market so maybe those guys will end up doing better than we think they will time to shine rodney stuckey time to shine what if Dwayne Wade uh, declined his player option? I mean, it seems like he would never go anywhere besides Chicago or Miami, uh, and he would obviously have to take way less to go to San Antonio. And you think if you're going to do that, he would probably just go to Cleveland. But well,
1: yeah, and he was yeah. going to he'd take way less, and he wouldn't start for them. So I mean, to me, if you're going to do that, because I don't think you benched Danny Green to play to play Dwayne Wade for a year.
0: I mean, they could just play play Wade at, at the two and Green at the three and Kawhi at the four. But no, they would never do that. We're just fantasizing here. Let's stop doing yeah. that because uh, it's it's unrealistic. And then, you know, I think when you're talking about if you're going to spend money on longer than a one-year deal, to me then you need to get into guys who could plausibly still be good in 2018 and beyond, you know, to really help with this next push in the latter part of of Kawhi's prime where they hopefully can kind of reload a little bit. Uh, And I'm not really sure who comes to mind there. I mean, maybe like a Ben McLemore type. He could be maybe Ben McLemore could be like the new Danny Green, you know, a guy who can get his jumper off, can't dribble at all. And, you know, has some decent defensive tools. You know, he's the type of guy I think could look good there. Maybe like Reggie Bullock is someone else that they could look at in that mode. Uh, but again, you know, their, their resources are pretty limited as well. If they had a little more money, I might say like Joe Ingalls would be a good fit for them. But I think Joe will probably take a little bit more than what they have to offer. And he's already 29 as well. So, I mean, that's the problem when you're trying to get guys in free agency, is all those guys are old <laughs> or they're restricted.
1: <laughs> and, I do think that there will inevitably be guys who kind of strike out in the early stages in San Antonio if they're going for this more patient approach would be a great place to be. But it's really hard to predict who that's going to be and and all that. So you just kind of say, oh, well, they'll be in the market for whoever that is. I'm sure KP would be yelling Willie Reed or something like that, you know, and that's certainly a possibility. You know, there are players there are players kind of on the margins that could be compelling with them, but everybody's going to go after the big money and the point guard position is probably. The best example of this because like Derek Derek Rose is fascinating because he's a good player you know he can he we talked about how he would you know he was starter level low starter level but you know around that level for most of the year but the problem is he is fifth no he's six He's so there's six guys unambiguously ahead of him on the point guard list and then it gets a little bit dicey after that that's just a lot of personnel to go through in and, and and timing you know that a team like the Pelicans or whoever else you know they're going to be talking to Drew Holiday and all the these other guys and then maybe if their spot opens up if drew leaves and something else then they'd be looking for rose but that's later on in the process and a lot of the money will have dried up by that point
0: few other names for you omri casprey omri Kaspi, jonas jerebko basically all of these combo forward type of guys that we've been talking about for every other team that we like um cephalosha i think i mentioned him already like he's maybe the type of guy who could fall into a one-year eight million dollar deal maybe you could get jerebko for the bae uh for a year or two and on a four million dollar year deal maybe he'd be he'd be okay for them um I think that's about all I have on those. They do have a potential rookie extension upcoming for Kyle Anderson slow-mo, but I highly doubt that they would do that just because they're gonna try and use twenty eighteen space, and I don't know that he's shown enough to really be worthy of much of an extension anyway. Uh got one other I, name for you here, Danny. Go ahead. I have one too. James Michael McAdoo, a restricted free agent for the Golden State Warriors. Just someone. That would be can, a great like,
1: test of how much power Steve Kerr has in the in the front office at the moment. <laughs> but <laughs> my guy is is uh, so more in a certain way which is we don't really know what Nene wants at this point in his career but if he's just kind of looking for a good situation you know, if he's kind of going to be another version of what David West has done and kind of picking among them San Antonio for a one-year thing especially if Pat leaves but if he doesn't leave is still one of the better options on the table if you were Nene would you rather play for Houston or San Antonio next year or would you rather play for the theoretically for the Warriors for the taxpayer MLE
0: yeah it's an interesting question I mean he stayed healthy in Houston until that that green- injury at the end said he was very happy there he went there for not very much money last year so I'd be I would imagine he would want to stay in Houston but you know if it were me I'd probably I think I'd probably would want to stay in Houston he'll have the biggest role there I I would bet you um we should also actually we skipped over some of their free agents like Dwayne Dedman just to explain what the deal is with him signed for a two-year six million dollar deal but the second year is a player option with the room exception and so they basically will have to use cap space to re-sign him the most they could sign him to without using cap space to basically be exactly what his hold is 120 percent of what he made this year which was 2.9 million so you have to imagine he'll do better than that maybe they would just say hey we're going to bring him back he is a 27 already but say hey we're going to bring him back and we'll dip into our our MLE to do that or or cap space um Ginobili as well I mean we don't know whether he's going to come back or not he made 14 million this year so his cap hold is going to be big if they operate over the cap they can pay him whatever they want to they'll for full rights on him if they go under the cap you know you would wonder what would happen with him and maybe they might get him to just come back because they actually i mean they really need him still next year you know we talked about how they got no juice off the bounce this year he was effective at times like still for 15 minutes a game they absolutely could use what he could bring and obviously he's a great leader and mentor on the team as well Uh, and, and you mentioned d lee as well i mean i could see him opting out maybe he'll just return for a you know just a slight raise off off of his minimum contract this year don't see him getting like a ton elsewhere and then they we will have the number 29 and 59 picks and they still have nikola Milatinov, their 2015 euro stash i haven't heard a single thing about him since then there was talk that he was basically drafted just so because he would stay in europe that season uh so who knows whether he's going to come over my assumption right now is that he's not going to come over we haven't heard anything about that being imminent and, and or that he's playing well there or anything like that
1: no i was just looking it up and couldn't find i looked briefly for his stats he was on olympiacos though that's the last thing i heard of a team that he All was that's playing that's actually a real team oh yeah well he was on he was so. on partisan for two years and actually like yeah. w- actually played for them in i think it was 13 14 he actually got some minutes for them but then he went to olympiacos and just they're they're a good team and he, i think he just fell down in their rotation
0: All right, let's get to portland this will take us considerably less time
1: yeah portland oh i should mention this my spurs preview i'm thinking is going to come out when most people are listening to this it should be the the tuesday release for si portland came out last week and i had some people comment on it that they're like this is really depressing and i said yeah it should be really depressing. Like that's that's kind of where they are. But the overarching question with the Portland Trailblazers this year is, will Paul Allen just bite the bullet and pay this team instead of giving up assets to save him money?
0: As of now, the Blazers, even if they were to move on from Pat Connaughton and Tim Quarterman and waive Festus Azealio as a million dollars guaranteed, they could also, as you've suggested, just trade him somewhere Just that will just take on that million dollars and eat it to save some luxury tax money and uh, you know, give up a small asset for that they will be 36 million dollars over the cap that would make them 17 million dollars over the tax and that would give them a team salary plus tax of 170 million dollars which would be the second highest payroll in nba history for a team that if we're lucky maybe could win 50 games next year if we're lucky maybe could start sniffing around the top four seeds in the west and that's assuming that Nurkic continues to play really well and cj and dame take a, a step forward so you have to imagine that they're going to need to dump something because then they also you have to remember have an extension coming next summer for use of Nurkic so at some point between now and next year they're going to need to dump some of their bloated contracts and three in particular stand out Myers Leonard do 30 million dollars over the next three years Evan Turner, do $52 million over the next three years. And Alan Crabb, do $39 million over the next two years and then possessing an $18.5 million player option for the third year. I mean, I think they it probably just makes sense to me to try it. And maybe you don't do it until the trade deadline, but they also have a chance right now where they, can, they have these three picks. Those picks are, are, especially on a team that has a lot of depth already, like those picks aren't gonna play. So maybe you're better off just using some of those picks we don't know which one it's going to be because they have what picks do they have again in the, in the draft?
1: 15, that's their own. 20, which they got in the uh, Nurkic Plumley trade. And then 26, which they got in the Anderson Verjao salary dump last year.
0: Yeah, and then actually changed with Cleveland to be this year rather than last year or, or rather than 2018. And the Nurkic Plumley was originally Memphis's. That's, that's where that number 20 Correct. comes from. Um, so, you know, especially with three picks, I doubt that we're going to see all three of those players on their roster next year maybe you say, hey, you know, if, especially if we could do 26 and trade that and get rid of most likely Leonard. He's probably like the least toxic of those three guys. Maybe they can can dump some money now because it becomes hard to do. I mean, they still will have their own pick next year, so maybe they could dump someone. But then, you know, they also save Paul Allen pl- plenty of money. But just to get some more flexibility, especially because like Turner and Crab, like those guys, I think they you can make the argument that they still need both of those guys. Leonard really is a nine contributor. They got Nurkic now. Uh, Leonard unplayable in the playoffs against the Warriors even with like no centers available on the team and they've got Ed Davis coming back from injury and and there's plenty of bargain basement centers they could sign for for depth as well.
1: Something else to consider with Portland and this was something i was working through when i was kind of thinking about their offseason is that they have 12 guaranteed contracts not including their three draft picks. So they don't have a ton of real like roster flexibility which you can think of two different ways one that is you know if they want to use the middle level exception which of course makes their tax bill way higher just that that small that small money just it starts really the the
0: taxpayer mid-level exception the taxpayer mid-level correct which again to reiterate five million dollars in the first year, and it's basically the most you can give out is a three-year, sixteen million dollar contract. With that, and of course, you know, just to put it in perspective, if they just added that salary to this to the salary they already have, they would pay out five million in salary and another twenty million bucks in luxury tax. So, pretty tough to convince uh, Mr. Allen that whoever you're getting with that deal uh, is worth a twenty million dollar expenditure, and then you know, you're adding to your tax bill in future seasons as well, potentially.
1: And something else they need to consider. You brought up at Davis, I. Think that they're running into this possibility when you look at how expensive this team is going to be in the future and how long it's going to be until they're not expensive. That they're probably going to need to think about what they want to do with Ed Davis and Alfaro Kaminu because those guys were value signings in 2015. But if you're basically going to lose them and you can't pay to re- retain them, then you might as well get some value for them, maybe not presently, but at some point before they expire. And they need Alfaro Kaminu, he's an important part of what they do, but they also can't really afford to. To lose him for nothing considering how hard it is for them to add talent when all they're going to have are these three draft picks one next year and then if they want to spend at the middle level exception
0: what do you think it would cost to, uh, let's go through leonard turner and crap this is this is just some back of the envelope math for me but basically it seems like the going rate these days is a first round pick for 20 million bucks in dead money back in the day when the cap was ha- cap was half what it is now it was about 10 million bucks in dead money uh to buy a draft pick Pick. Like the Richard Jefferson, Steven Jackson trade, for example, the Warriors got the 30 pick that enabled them to draft Festus Ezeli in 2012. Now we saw Andrew Nicholson was basically 20 million bucks in dead money. He got traded for uh, Washington's first round pick this year. And they also, the Nets gave up Boyan Bogdanovich as well. But uh, so that complicates that math a little bit. But let's just say that's uh, a general proxy, 20 million bucks in dead money. Leonard, he's got 30 million left in his contract. I think he's maybe like a $4 million a year player if you squint hard. Would you say that, Danny?
1: that's fair I mean there are guys who sign for less than that who are way better than he is but that's usually on a really good team and you're not seeing him that way you know yeah. it's, you're not you, it's not fair to compare him to Dwayne deadman or nene
0: yeah so let's so he's due 30 million he's giving you 12 million in value over the next three years you say so that's basically 18 million in dead money so I don't think it's unrealistic that they could throw in one of those picks to get rid of Leonard and that would really of course help their tax bill quite a bit that would reduce their team salary plus tax from hundred. 70 million all the way down to 138 million so they would save over 30 million dollars by being able to move on from him
1: and that only escalates when they pay when they pay Nurkic.
0: yeah uh, yeah that's true too so i think it's possible to get off of leonard now of course the negotiations with any team will be real interesting because they'll you offer 26 and they'll be like uh nah. how about you give us uh 15 (laughs) instead so uh so that's one option turner i'm thinking of him you know through similar math maybe he's like an eight million dollar a year guy so that leaves him with maybe 30 million in dead money and crab maybe he's a 10 million dollar a year guy he's got about 30 million dollars in dead money as well though maybe some hope that he can improve enough uh, as a, a little bit younger guy so i don't think leonard has any chance of improving he's already i think gonna be 25 next year and and he's just too slow and too crappy defensively uh too unaware really his only skill right now is shooting the ball uh maybe passing a little bit so i, I don't see him really taking a leap forward at this point he hasn't showed much progress so i don't know if you can move turn and Crab, and then you also kind of need those guys because you know we're going with a more wing heavy league of course So, yeah, I mean, I think that'll be real interesting with Leonard. The other possibility is they'll no doubt try to package those picks, especially with, as you mentioned, the 12-guaranteed contracts, combine them and try and move up, especially into the top 12. As many say, this is an 11-12 player draft. So not sure what it'll take to get there. I mean, you'll recall the Bulls traded 16 and 19 to get to 11. That trade didn't work out too well. (laughs) Uh, Doug McDermott for Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic. But 15 and 20, pretty much the same as 16 and 19, you would think. So yeah, maybe they could get to 11, maybe they could get to 10. Uh, When Minnesota had 14 and 21, or or I'm sorry, the Jazz had 14 and 21, they were able to move up to number nine to select Trey Burke. Uh, Minnesota ended up drafting Gorgie Jang and Shabazz Muhammad. So I'm not sure even that moving up to like nine or 11 or something with those two picks, the History of that doesn't work out that well, and I'm not thinking that you know because it's like, oh, it's the lottery, it's the top 10. Like, you know, it seems a lot sexier. Uh, another pick, uh, one like that, I think New Jersey traded three picks, which are like you know 16, 22, and 23 for number seven, which uh became Eddie Griffin, the late Eddie Griffin. Um, and then they got like Richard Jefferson and maybe like Jason Collins and like Brandon Armstrong, who was uh, I want to say like this lefty shooter from nine um anyway now that i'm scraping like the, the bottom of the barrel here but that's kind of the, what you can hope and it doesn't seem like those trades usually work out very well i mean unless you're getting into like the top five or they just have one guy that they've identified who falls or something you know i'm not sure i would advocate doing that so ideally if you could just make your picks at 15 and 20 Use twenty six to get off of Leonard, and then, you know, maybe just kind of call it an off season <laughs> at that point.
1: Another just massive question that the Kings will I'm sorry, not the Kings that foreshadows where I was going with this, that the Blazers will be at the forefront of is how comfortable are teams giving up cap space for three years? Because that's something different. Like in some ways, Leonard having that 30 million over two years would be more palatable for a team like Brooklyn, let's say, where Brooklyn, you know, they know they're they know they're pretty much gonna suck the next two years. And so at least then they could come out of it clean, that would be better for them to a point. But at the same juncture, the strict provision is so useful because you can really push out that last year. So I think that whatever team, if, if we're valuing this correctly, whatever team kind of moves first and says, hey, we're not we're not doing anything with our cap, will benefit. And so like, yeah, let's, I, I think that a team would ask for probably for 20 as the minimum for, for Leonard whether that would work or not. And the team that I think it makes the most sense for, even though they have a million centers right now, is Sacramento I because sacramento just needs assets in the worst way they need as many swings as they can possibly get and remember they're already losing an unprotected pick in two years so they need to to take some swings take some shots and they're not a real free agent destination the next couple of years anyway so why not
0: yeah brooklyn of course it would be another one although there's some talk that they want to use their 30 million in cap space another uh, but- underrated <laughs> one
1: is phoenix because phoenix is just of course they could move eric Bledsoe and change the books around a lot but they, they don't have as much flexibility as people think
0: if they were a th- theoretically going to be able to use the full taxpayer mid-level after getting off of leonard or even if they're able to somehow move turner potentially what do you see as as their team needs i mean i think they're set at center with nurkic and davis realistically uh they got cj and maybe like one more backup point guard they still got shabazz napier you could see them also just trading away shabazz napier as well who's due 2.3 million maybe just as a as a salary dump uh, to, to save some money and maybe open up the ability to go out into free agency with even just a smaller contract. So that might be something they consider. Maybe they move on from Jake Lehman as well. Uh, who's due 1.3 million guaranteed Pat Connaughton by the way, and Tim Quarterman, both at the minimum Connaughton guarantee date of July 25th. So they'll know easily whether they have done better. He hasn't really shown me anything at all. I've watched plenty of Blazers garbage time, unfortunately living on the West coast. And then, uh, tim quarterman as well his guarantee date isn't until the league-wide cut down date of, of january 10th so you have to imagine that quarterman will just be brought to camp and they'll just see whether he can make the team or not um but anyway yeah who, who what do you see as their needs i mean i guess just more wings more deep like someone who can play some defense on the wing we say that for every team but especially because they've now lost the warriors two years in a row in the playoffs and just have having a prayer of defending them
1: i also would like to see them get better at the four like a real if they could get a true kind of a true. Four in that way that would really help but the problem is even those guys like the ones that are worth playing in a playoff series aren't going to come cheap you know, it's not like they yeah, can just they
0: still have Noah Vonley too uh, you could also see them maybe trying to clear some space off with Vonley if anyone well, values i was going to mention just... vonley
1: also yeah. because he's a potentially interesting extension candidate not because he's so good but because he is in the spot where they can come at this from a position of leverage which is basically hey you have a higher cap hold than you're going to be worth but we can you know if you so we can basically say we'll let you go it's not a big deal like we can do that but if you want to come to a very team favorable deal just to have some security sure we could do that that i could see that as a possibility
0: for them or for another team finally had some moments actually down the end of the year is with his ability to switch never going to really be a rim protector good rebounder perhaps we've been waiting for his stroke to become projectable and and actually project into into being something he'll take threes but he's not really a huge threat there also is just completely unplayable against golden state due to his lack of, of of IQ and switching being able to switch out on the floor the way they do you know if you're playing against a team like the Jazz he actually was very effective in a late season game against them so maybe you just try to trade him at this point or you say you know we think he can play some backup center for us they even started some at the four as well Uh, but you know I'm not as high on him but but you're you run the the risk again especially after you play against the Warriors in a playoff series of just like oh man this guy can't play against the greatest team of all time like we got to get rid of him whereas you know he can actually be effective over the the course of a normal regular season
1: and the other element of this is kind of if if there is a trade market for a davis then what they could do is use one of their remaining picks on a center who then becomes a cost controlled ideally can be nurkic's backup for the for part of the rookie scale but you don't have to throw them in the fire the first year so maybe you go with vonlay using him as a as a bridge and the reason you keep vonlay instead of davis is just because you can get less for him
0: last thing nurkic his extension he'll be extension eligible on july 1st i mean and they have to keep him but you know it's still not the greatest center market Nurkic had an interesting year with Portland obviously they started doing well he had a very high block rate over five percent with them 26 percent usage but only 54 percent true shooting still even though he's getting set up a ton because he still goes to like this crazy number of post ups, or he gets offensive rebounds and can't put him back who's good on the offensive glass as well so it seems like he's never going to be a guy who's like incredibly efficient but uh, obviously they played so much better with him as a role threat than they did with and then his passing was a revelation. So they need to re sign him. What would your offer be if you were the Portland Trailblazers?
1: I think you can come at this from a pretty a pretty strong like a position of strength with the idea being two different big elements that run in their favor. One is the idea of uncertainty, like knowing a lot more is a major benefit. Second thing is considering how screwed they are in terms of the cap, other teams are going to make off, an offer on Nurkic basically knowing that he's going to be matched. And so certain teams, incidentally, the greatest example of this in modern NBA history was the blazers themselves just completely hosing the the thunder on the ns canner contract
0: yeah you could see like basically the exact same things doing that to the blazers because they know they have to match and just like screw them over with the tax absolutely right. I was and just so you, could, that same you thing. could
1: see you could see a team do that and so that is a risk for them that they do have to deal with but at the same point that could scare a lot of other teams off there will not be that much money from my preliminary kind of th- thoughts about it there will not be that much money on on their next year so even though i think he. Would never ever accept this. I would be trying to get him around 14 million starting, and he's never ever going to accept that. But that's where I would kind of put it. And then maybe I'd push it up to like 16 if they're really willing to do it because I think a team is going to push it harder than that later on. But I don't think that gets a deal done.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting because there's also some risk on Portland's side, right? Like, I mean, they have no way to replace him, but Nurkic has had some injuries. He has that partially torn patellar tendon. He had this latest uh, tibia injury that kept him out most of the playoffs. and down the end of the regular year as well. So there's a little risk there as well. And maybe some, him thinking that he wants to lock in what's life-changing money, hasn't made much money in his career as the 16th pick in that 2014 draft.
1: Denver fans will bring up another risk too.
0: That he just starts sucking again and stops trying.
1: Or, yeah, or just, just gets into kind of a, a, blue, a, a, a fugue state and just doesn't really... <laughs> doesn't really do it and and that can a happen solid,
0: solid breaking bad reference there danny
1: appreciate it and so i I, th- I
0: had definitely never heard of what a fugue state was until uh until then and uh like the uh, <laughs> although everyone like hated skylar so much the utter derision with which she said oh were you in your fugue state <laughs> after like just completely that was like not seasons later right his his total bullshit uh, uh was really great i, I enjoyed that immensely
1: that possibility is also there, and I think that's something that Portland should consider in the back of their minds. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a fun situation for them. I was, I that's why I would put it more in the fourteen to sixteen million dollar range. But I completely understand that he could say, "Hey, look at what I did for you guys. We had the best stretch of the entire season when I was on the floor." So why are you getting cute with this especially if the the center market next year I haven't gone too deep into the like the restricted free agent mark the fr- restricted free agents in 2018 but there could be a team that's just interested in him even if it's just a troll offer just to do it
0: well I haven't updated this 2018 free agents rankings in a while because I still had Mitch mcgarry listed as a potential rotation player probably uh we'll update that after after this year's free agency is over uh but yeah the, the there are quite a few bigs that are going to be available on the market, so I, I wouldn't be that scared of him getting a restricted free agency. But you know, it's it's always a risk, obviously. And when you're so capped out and taxed out, you can get to the point where paying 19 million dollars a year instead of 16 actually like really sucks. So, and they want him as part of the long term future. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I, my offer would be right around that range as well, Danny, and then just kind of see see what happens if it's if he doesn't accept it. But I, I don't think I would go much above sixteen because he just he, he was on the team for a month and a half and then he got hurt, so that's not enough of a sample size for me to pay him like an above average starter quite yet
1: they had an 8.5 a plus 8.5 net rating during the games he played for them after the all-star break but again that's 19 games so really how do you how do you want to interpret that and i'm sure he, he and his agent will push it with like hey look at how good we were defensively they were able to kind of keep it together and then offensively they looked good with him on the floor and he was still showing more wrinkles later on in the year even in just that 19 game sample so you have that but again i would want i would want to see him prove it and that's why you want what in the those situations you you try to extract it what you think of as a meaningful discount as a risk premium
0: all right i think we're done here thank you so much for listening of course if you want to support us and our endeavors including the twitter nba show which we'll be doing tomorrow night for game four of boston and cleveland patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue is the way to do that where we offer additional mailbag podcasts. I'm going to put up my salary sheets that I use to prepare for this today as well. You got anything to plug before we go?
1: I don't know it formally, but I believe that the Spurs offseason preview will be going up on Tuesday for SI and then I think it was Oklahoma, C- Oklahoma City that came out today, which is we talked about it already on Dunked on and that's going to be just a fascinating offseason.
0: All right. Talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for listening thing.